Crucify My Love, book one in the Mask of the Gods series, by C.E. Dorset, read by the author. The little girl lay still in her crying mother's arms. Purple blotches dotted her skin like moldy spots in an old jug. Shinobu waved his hand over her. A subtle energy passed from him to her and back again. Each splotch stung his hand with its corruption. Your daughter has sulky pox, he said in a soft, calm voice. No doubt she caught it playing in the river. Can you save her? the child's mother asked. The desperation in her voice rang in Shinobu. He nodded. Please lay her on the table. He pointed to the only table in their small cottage. He focused the energies in his body so he could pull the sickness from the child as the girl's distraught mother carried her over to the table and gently lay her down. Shinobu walked over to the little girl. She was awake, but her eyes couldn't focus due to the fever. Relax, child, Shinobu said and flashed her a practiced smile. This may feel strange, but when we're done, you will be well. After nodding to the girl's mother, who stood on the other side of the table from him praying, he waved his hand over the girl's tiny body. The disease called to him like a carcass summoned carrion fowl. With a sharp inhalation, the corruption in the girl's body rose from her and entered his hand. The magic's old familiar sting split his bones and tore Shinobu's skin. The world took on a red hue as blood filled his eyes. He smiled at the sweet pain, his oldest friend. He had never known joy in this life, but he lived on without it. The sweetness of existence soured under the weight of pain and time. The girl's suffering seeped into his bones and burned like coals. Agony echoed like breaking glass as thorns grew ripping through his muscles and piercing his skin. He reeled in the throes so close to pleasure, his muscles tore and he collapsed to his knees. He locked his eyes with the sweet little girl he healed. They swelled with tears as her suffering ended, then twisted to fear as blood oozed from the fresh wounds on his face. She screamed and reached for her mother, who picked her up and ran from the cottage. Hikaru rested his hand on Shinobu's back, warm and radiating with love. Unable to hold himself up anymore, he collapsed, limp to the ground. The stone floor cooled his face where it could touch. The thorns scraped. He forced a trembling breath. Heat faded from his bones. Everything froze within him. He shivered. The thorns scratched against the stone. He couldn't keep his eyes open. They closed, shrouding the world in darkness. If only death would take him. She cradled him in her arms like his mother never had, and brushed his short black hair out of his eyes. Sweet Shinobu, death whispered tenderly. You've done well. Her icy fingers caressed and soothed his forehead. A tear clung to the corner of his left eye, but even it was too tired to move. 
He found comfort in her embrace. If only she would take him with her this time, and not leave him to his life. But he doubted he would be that lucky. Pain shot through his body as he slid onto the soft bed. A cozy blanket covered him. Death cradled him in her maternal arms. This was a dream. Even asleep, his ever-watchful mind couldn't rest. If he had the energy, he would have cried. But release wouldn't come, even in his dreams. Let me rest. Weaving between the bleak dream and the warm bed, Shinobu tried to count the days, but the words jumbled and lost their meaning. Time flowed different in the dreams. Pain distorted his few waking moments and stretched minutes into hours. As he looped between the two, he lost his ability to track either. What's the point of wallowing in misery? He was born Thornkin, and there was no treatment or cure. He didn't have to save the girl, but he couldn't let her waste away and die. Besides, healing was a good business. Why should the Sawyers be the only ones to profit off of others' misery? This way, he took their pain and their money. It was a good deal for them. After all these years, he hadn't grown callous to suffering, no matter how much it hurt him to bring release. Care motivated him, but it also ripped at his spirit and flesh. Compassion cost him more than it would anyone else. His life would be easier if he refused to help, but his soul would rot and fester from the decision. Nothing was easy. No, nothing that mattered was easy. A frivolous life was the simplest thing in the world, but it was devoid of meaning and purpose. The thorns wouldn't kill him if he took time to recuperate. Hikaru and Chewie would make sure he rested. His life would have ended a hundred times by now if he wandered the world alone. But the Breathless sisters ensured he would never be alone when they entrusted him to Hikaru's family. The midday sun reddened his vision and prevented him from falling back to sleep. It didn't matter. Sleep wasn't rest. It was more time to contemplate his life and the pain in his body. Despite his own desire to sleep, he opened his eyes. The wooden joist ran across the plastered ceiling. The room smelled of boiling soup and his own sweat. Fever must have accompanied the sickness. The girl was closer to death than he believed when he examined her. As the rest of his senses awoke to join him, Hikaru sang a soft prayer to Yansharo, the holy mountain, somewhere in the corner of the room. His voice soothed his aching muscles. Against his will, he smiled. His skin stretched tight over the bone protruding from his cheeks and chin. How long was I unconscious this time? Shinobu asked. Speaking burned his throat. Two weeks, Hikaru said. Chui helped me change your bedding every day. Don't even think about trying to get up. I don't want the thorns in your legs to bleed more than they already have. Yes, brother. Shinobu hadn't considered even sitting up. His wounds were tender lying still, but they would rip and bleed if he tried to move. His mind slipped away. Sleep crept over him, and he lost himself in his thoughts again. Hikaru stirred the hearty vegetable soup in the clay pot set atop the glowing crystal stones. He hated when Shinobu overexerted himself so much. The Breathless Sisters prescribed a series of meditations and other practices to strengthen him, but no one could tell Shinobu what to do. He smiled. 
What strength Shinobu possessed in his spirit not to break under the suffering wrought by his nature. He absorbed the pain of complete strangers. Thorns splintered from his bones and pierced his skin. It couldn't be an easy thing to endure. He couldn't do it. Sans was better than most of the villages they'd visited. The people were grateful for the services they offered. They even loaned them a cottage to work from. If they hadn't, they would have lived on their airship, the Kurinai. Not that it wasn't comfortable. He saw enough of it when they traveled. Maybe they could settle down and have a life here. The villagers would love having a resident healer. Shinobu might make friends, and he would be able to take care of them properly. Chewie would be the only one unhappy if they stopped traveling. Hikaru gave the finished soup one final stir. He wasn't hungry. He put the lid on it and moved it to the table, setting it on a trivet. Shinobu drifted back off to sleep. He would be out for a couple hours at least. Hikaru faced his sword on its stand on the mantle above the fireplace. Its long slender blade matched the shape of its lacquered scabbard. The guard fit into the mouth of the scabbard, extending out on either side in rounded wings, pointing down towards the blade. It bore his family crest, a tetractus wreathed in stylized flowers. Its worn black leather grip showed its long legacy of use. The pommel resembled the holy mountain Yenshiro, where the gods dwelled. He steepled his hands in reverence as his eyes lingered on the sacred image. He had neglected his practice over the last couple days. The village had been peaceful since they arrived, but unlike Shinobu, he didn't neglect his practice. Walking over to the table, he whispered a prayer for guidance and picked up the tsurugi by its scabbard and grip. His family owned the blade for generations. When his father gave it to him, Hikaru's hand warmed as its spirit reached out to him. Over time, he learned it was less a blade and more an extension of himself. Just as he was a continuance of his family, the sword was a part of him. He strapped the scabbard to a belt and fastened it to his waist. Since the village was in the foothills of the Vame Mountains, it would be a short walk into the woods so he could practice unseen. After he exited the cottage, he locked the door. Sans was the quietest village they'd visited in a while, and it was unlikely anyone would consider breaking in while he was out. One can never be too careful. The streets changed overnight. Wooden and clay skeletons littered them. Every building had one, lying on the ground, propped up against the wall. They weren't decorations. They filled the streets like a simulated slaughter. But why? Amulets and talismans adorned the lentils and doorposts of every house. Richly enameled and lined in either polished brass or gold, each one must have cost a quarter of what each family made in a year. Shaped like a downward-facing hand, with an eye emblazoned on its palm, the talismans watched from the doorposts. Hikaru recognized them as the hand of the kindly mother Talia. Red and gold multi-winged butterfly amulets crowned the lentils. They were also a symbol of Mother Talia. They represented her saving wings of grace and furious wings of vengeance. There must be a holiday coming. Hikaru wasn't one of the kindly folk, but he familiarized himself with them since they arrived in Sans. The Almanac mentioned their holidays, but nothing in the tenth month. As he imagined the face of the bookbinders when he submitted a correction, he smirked. The Endless Brothers in their burgundy robes tied in the waist with a golden cord prayed at various cottages, blessing the amulets and the doors. 
Light shone from their hands as they prayed. The butterflies flickered to life and glowed with an inner light. The mother's hands glimmered and the eye watched the priest finish their blessing before scanning the streets for danger. Hikaru decided to buy a set of charms for their cottage to show their respect for the locals' faith. He walked towards the nearest endless brother. Something chugged in the distance. Music accompanied the mechanical noise, the Sawyer Imperial Anthem. Hikaru studied the sky. An enormous airship loomed on the western horizon. The black Sawyer flag with its gold double X in the center flapped in the wind above the mast. It was an imperial cruiser, black and sleek, with the imperial crest comprising the flag shield flanked on either side by mermaids and topped with an eight-armed typhon emblazoned on the side. Gold Pretanian letters shone on the bow, bearing the name of the ship, the Caliburn Stone. His chest tightened as the airship approached. The blood-red diamond in the center of the flag came into view. The festival must be important if a Sawyer cruiser came to attend, unless they were here to quell sedition. In their time in Sans, the village was calm with no signs of unrest. That was strange for a Sawyer village, but the Empire had left them alone. Maybe the garrison hadn't arrived yet. Hikaru made his way to the town square. A crowd joined him pointing at the airship as it came to a stop overhead. Four block anchors descended, two from either side of the bow and two from the aft. Three egg-shaped balloons inflated off the side of the cruiser atop a set of air skiffs. They sloped towards the ground as the final refrains of the Sawyer Imperial Anthem sounded. Each skiff contained four Praetorian guards, whose red gallia, lances, and oval shields stood out against their oily black armor. Two black and gold halberdiers stood at the front. Behind the soldiers, on two of the skiffs, younger men dressed in black jackets, high, round-collared shirts, and pants waved at the crowd. On the third skiff, an older man in a black and gold uniform stood with his hands behind his back. When the skiffs landed, the elder raised his hands to silence the crowd. People of Sons! He said in a gravelly voice infused with an almost preternatural authority. Proconsul Nicholas Austin has heard your pleas and sent me to protect you. I am Quaister Cedric Rutham, and I have come with my curates Jacob Abbott and Jared Cook to aid you in the dark time. The crowd cheered. Hikaru glanced around at the joy on the people's faces. The Quaister's words confused him. The last few weeks in the village were uneventful. Whatever dark times they experienced either occurred in secret or hadn't started yet. As the Quaister continued his speech, Hikaru turned to the street behind him. Overnight, they spread fake corpses and attached protective amulets and talismans to their homes. A storm was coming. Chapter 2 The Visitation Nothing in Quaisteruthum's speech shed any light on the crisis he claimed to respond to. Perhaps it was a taboo to talk about or name it. Many cultures forbade discussion of dark, spiritual matters. The Sawyers never respected such taboos, but then again, nothing about this official visit passed the smell test. Hikaru meandered through the crowd after the Quaister's speech listening to the villagers debating whether the Sawyers could help them. 
They whispered about ghosts and dark revenants haunting the night, but this far away from the Deadlands, they sounded like campfire stories. Spotting Brother Tynan's bald head crowned by short white hair and his burgundy robes in the crowd, he wended over to him. The elder priest's genial nature, round nose and rosy cheeks, brought a smile to his face. After exchanging pleasantries, Hikaru made arrangements for him to install a talisman and amulet on their cottage. He asked about the dark times, and all Brother Tynan said was that the Days of the Dead started at the next new moon. Hikaru thanked him and returned to the cottage. In his travels, Hikaru encountered several cultures who believed their dead returned in the fall to visit, judge, or harass them. With the exception of villages in northern Yangshao, where the dead rarely stayed dead, most consisted of superstitions and few facts. He didn't inquire further about the local tradition. The kindly folk believed Mother Talia showed mercy to the unfortunate and vengeance to the deserving. Undoubtedly, their days of the dead comprised the departed doing the same. This was more likely a symbolic affair. Why would the villagers involve the proconsul in the festivities? Maybe they took part in the celebration. It would be refreshing to see the Sawyers do something other than oppress their citizens. When he arrived back at the cottage, Shinobu still slept on one of the two beds, and a bowl and spoon sat on the table by the clay pot containing the soup he made earlier. Chewy must have stopped by for dinner while he was out. Chewy preferred to spend most of his time on their airship, Kuranai. As their pilot and engineer, he tinkered with the engines every time they landed. He loved the ship and stayed in his cabin on board whenever the circumstances allowed. With a quaestor in town, the less he was with them, the better for him. The Sawyers fought several wars against Tudao over the years and were suspicious of them. A knock on the door. Hikaru smiled and shook his head. He didn't expect Brother Tynan to come and bless the entrance so soon. He walked over to the door and opened it. A handsome young Sawyer man with short black hair and turquoise eyes and formal attire smiled at him. Two Praetorian guards stood behind him. Hikaru recognized him as one of the two curates who arrived with the quaestor. While he, while he expected a visit as soon as the Sawyers discovered, while he expected a visit as soon as the Sawyers discovered there were foreigners in town, this was too soon. Hikaru fought back his surprise. It made sense. Once he discovered they were not only from Kishan, but Shinobu was a thornkin, he visited them straight away. Hikaru smiled and did his best not to show his nerves. Greetings, the stranger said. My name is Curate Jacob Abbott. Would you mind if I came in and had a brief word with you? A polite Sawyer? Oh, miracles never cease. Hikaru nodded and motioned for him to enter. After instructing his guards to wait outside, Abbott stepped in and closed the door behind him. Thank you. He looked at the table and frowned. I haven't interrupted your dinner, have I? No, I was just about to sit, Hikaru said, studying his every movement. You can join me if you like. I made enough for company. No, thank you. I won't be here that long. You're Kishani, yes? Hikaru walked over to the dresser. Shinobu and I were born in Kishan, but we've lived as itinerant healers for years. He pulled their travel papers from the top drawer and presented them. Abbott accepted them and examined their stamps. Noble of you. Do your travels regularly bring you to this region? 
No, Hikaru couldn't imagine what crime the curate suspected them of committing. We spent most of this trip in the Central Valley. Since we hadn't stopped in this area before, we thought they might benefit from our services. Usually, we spend most of our time in the villages and towns on the border mountains. I hope you have enjoyed your time in Swair. Abbott emphasized the proper pronunciation of the Empire's short name. We always do, Hikaru said politely. Abbott might have been drawing attention to Hikaru's Kashania accent, speaking the Britannian language, or maybe he always made such an effort not to pronounce the word in the vulgar corruption most had adopted. Abbott handed their travel papers back, his eyes locked on the bed. Your companion, Shinobu Zentai, was it? He is Thornkin. Hikaru nodded. My family took him in after the accident. He's like a brother. Pardon my ignorance, Abbott returned his attention to Hikaru. Zentai is not a traditional Kishani family name, is it? The curate either knew a lot about Kishani culture or had a good instinct about it. The Breathless Sisters gave him that name. They refer to all Thornkin as Zentai. How interesting. Why are you here now? Abbott's smile faded. Should he make up a story? Sans was one of the two stops they planned on their way back to their home base in Sarnath. The truth shouldn't get them in trouble, but judging the intentions of the Sawyers was never easy. He didn't want to explain why they spent so much time in Golin rather than their homeland of Kishan. The two countries were on opposite sides of the empire, Kishan to the north and Golin to the south. Relations with both were strained, which one would be better to mention? We are on our way to Golin. Sans looked like a pleasant place to offer our services along the way. What magnanimous people you are! The smile returned to his face. I understand he has been ill since healing a little girl of sulky pox. Could I please have a word with him? Hikaru turned to Shinobu. He was sound asleep, but the thorns were barely peeking through his skin. I might be able to wake him. If it's necessary, you speak to him. I'm afraid it is. Shinobu walked under the stone arches of the Breathless Sisters' convent in Kuraijido. The nutty spice of the incense smoke welcomed him home. Singing crystals joined into a chorus of praise to Sister Death's patient respite so life could flourish and grow. The sisters only spoke if something required words. Their devotion to Sister Death taught them every breath was sacred, and they never wasted a single one. They never treated him as damaged, broken, or fragile. His survival was a gift, and the thorns a blessing. He bore an ever-present reminder of his own mortality, and through it had the power to heal and help others. He missed not being an object of concern. Hikaru meant well, but in his eyes, Shinobu was a porcelain doll liable to chip and shatter. His limits prevented him from forgetting them. His muscles twinged and ached all the time. Shinobu? Hikaru's voice invaded the dream. He opened his eyes. Hikaru's high cheeks and hawk-yellow eyes welcomed him to consciousness. His black hair hung in sleek curtains on either side of his worried face. With a quick glance from his eyes, he told Shinobu they weren't alone. A handsome Sawyer man with raven hair and green-blue eyes, wearing black formal Sawyer clothes, stood near the bed. Shinobu Zentai, the handsome man said. My name is Jacob Abbott. 
I am a curate of the Sawyer Imperial Company. I am sorry to wake you, but I need to ask you a few questions. Hikaru raised an eyebrow at the curate's diction. Shinobu smiled at Abbott's use of the common pronunciation of Sawyer. Since he refused to enforce the proper name of his own country, he wanted Shinobu to regard him as a friendly face of the Empire. He wanted something. I would introduce myself, but you already discovered my name. Shinobu smiled. What can I help you with, curate? Abbott smiled back. I wanted to ask you and your companion at the same time. Are you aware that a death breach opens in Sans every seven years? Shinobu fought back a laugh. He hadn't heard such an absurd thing in ages. When he realized the curate was serious, he said, flat and stony-faced, there's no such thing as a death breach. The breaches arise from an imbalance in the traditional elements. Earth, fire, metal, water, and wood. Life and death are a product of the element's actions. They are not elements in themselves. Abbott studied him for a moment. Our elementalists and other adepts have told us the same thing. The problem is, this will be the fourth time it happens, if it happens. We have records of the first three. Trust me, it is coming. Shinobu pondered his words. Breaches didn't work cyclically. The Aether Watch studied the phenomenon for centuries, and while they had found methods to predict the largest ones, they could not find a single pattern to them. The Almanac didn't list a possible breach in Sans. That either meant it didn't fit within their models, or this was a local superstition. We are obviously not from around here, Shinobu said with the faintest humor in his voice. I don't know anything about this. I didn't expect you to be fully informed, Abbott said. I was curious if, on account of your nature, you might have sensed something in the air, hills, or valley that could help us determine what is coming. Sorry, but I sensed nothing. I feel nothing now, except for the obvious soreness. He understood what the curate was asking. When the breaches hit his pregnant mother in Kuraijido, it tore him apart and rebuilt him. He died and returned. The Breathless Sisters explained that to him when he was a child. They believed Sister Death saved the Thornkin and blessed them with the living death in their bones. That was how they explained the thorns. He had never fully accepted their explanation. The power of the breach infused him with its power in his mother's womb as it ripped him from her belly. Abbott frowned, screwing up his face like he expected a different answer. I am sorry I can't help you with this. But I promise I will let you know if that changes. Shinobu coughed to clear his throat. We came here to help the village and relieve its suffering to the best of our ability. I am not sure what I can do to help if this death breach happens, but I will do what I can. Are you sure about this? As sure as we can be, Abbott sounded skeptical himself. Please don't spread this. But the first two times this happened, it took word too long to reach the proconsul's office for them to respond in time. On the occasion of the third outbreak, the Empire dispatched a team of elementalists to the village. Six of the seven died in the event that followed. The lone survivor reported the spirits of the dead and other creatures swamped the village every night. Only villagers that left their home at night perished. That explains the amulets on every home. Hikaru said. Shinobu asked what he meant by that, and Hikaru explained what he saw when he left the cottage earlier that day. 
The mere fact that the villagers spent so much on magical protections for their homes lent more validity to the claim. It didn't change the fact that a death breach defied everything he understood about magic. Like I said, curate, Shinobu said, I exist to relieve the suffering of the world, or so the Breathless Sisters taught me. If there is anything I can do, please let me know. I will keep an eye out on my own, and will inform you of everything I learn. Abbott allowed a content smile to enter his managed expression, and after saying his goodbyes, left the cottage. What do you make of his story? Hikaru asked. Shinobu examined the idea of a death breach again, but came to the same decision. It is far-fetched, to be honest. I wouldn't be surprised by much. It sounds impossible. I need you to send a message to the nearest Naughty Jill outpost and inform them about what the curate said. Ask them if they have any information to share. Then tell Chewie he can't stay on the ship until we understand what is happening. He won't be happy about that. If anything he said was true, it isn't worth the risk to have him unprotected. We have the blessings on this cottage, don't we? We will by tonight. I have arranged it with Brother Tynan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mask of the Gods, Book 1, Crucify My Love. If you would like to read along, or read ahead, the ebook and paperback are available at Amazon.com. You can find more information on the world in the series at Ashdancer.com. You can also find out more on my daily podcast, Project Shadow, available in most podcast directories, or go to ProjectShadow.com. If you would like to support this work directly, down in the show notes you'll see a link for community support. If you click that link, you can help at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That money helps support everything that I do, including producing more audio books like this. Thank you so much for your time. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, I'm C.E. Dorset. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like me to discuss about this book, please go to anchor.fm and download the Anchor app. Follow Mask of the Gods. And at the bottom of the screen, you'll see a button that says Voice Message. Keep it clean so I can use it on the show, and I would love to answer your questions. Again, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, don't forget to have the fun.